Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Friday, June 30th. Coming up, a major surge in funding is allowing urban forestry departments to invest more in planting trees. Typically, urban forestry is an underfunded area of communities. Communities have a lot of challenges and, you know, limited budgets to address them all. Plus, honeybees and humans have had a sweet relationship going back a long time. you got to keep in mind, they're livestock, right? So we've been raising them for thousands of years, so we've been selecting for three characteristics. One, how much honey they make two, how cold-hardy they are, and three, how chill they are. (laughs) We'll meet a Kansas City man who makes sure these important pollinators find safe places to build their hives. But first, some headlines. The National Weather Service has declared a heat advisory, KCUR's Noah Taborda reports. Temperatures are expected to reach or exceed 100 degrees during the advisory, which is in effect until Friday night. Local officials are urging people to stay in a well-air-conditioned area out of the sun, If you need to venture out, drinking plenty of water is vital. For those who do not have access to air conditioning, most public libraries and community centers in the area are open, free of charge to cool off. Buses operated by Ride KC and the Kansas City streetcar are also air-conditioned and free for folks, whether they are on their way somewhere or just want to ride until they get back to the same stop. The University of Missouri says it will no longer use race or ethnicity as a factor in admissions or scholarships. In a statement, the school says it values diversity and uniqueness, but it will now follow the U.S. Supreme Court's new legal standards relating to affirmative action and race. Only a small number of programs and scholarships at UM previously considered race. The university says it will honor previous scholarships awarded to current and incoming students. Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey sent a letter to universities yesterday saying that considering race in admissions is illegal and that schools must follow the Supreme Court's ruling immediately. Kansas agencies will continue to let people change the gender on their birth certificates and IDs, despite a new state law seemingly restricting it. The law defines men and women as their gender assigned at birth. Republican Attorney General Chris Kobach says that requires the state to revert gender changes on birth certificates and IDs. But Democratic Governor Laura Kelly says her administration disagrees, and the state agencies overseeing birth certificates and IDs won't change their policies. Kobach says he plans to take Kelly's administration to court over the disagreement. Micah Kubik is the director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Kansas. He says people change the gender on their IDs for many reasons, including clerical errors. That's why Mr. Kobach choosing to intervene in this matter in this way is really so disturbing and so challenging. More than twice as many Kansans changed the gender on their birth certificates this year in advance of the law going into effect. Kansas City Royals majority owner John Sherman says the organization is negotiating in good faith over a new labor agreement with the union representing service workers at Kauffman Stadium. Greg Eklund has more for KCUR. Kansas City's Service Employees International Union, Local 1, has accused the Royals of interrogating and threatening workers during the collective bargaining period for a new agreement. Earlier this month, they filed formal charges against the Royals with the National Labor Relations Board. Royals owner John Sherman said 
He's not criticizing labor unions, but it's not unusual for them to use the media to bring public pressure to the negotiations. Sherman told members of the media emphatically that he believes the royals treat their employees well and he's confident a deal will be reached. Sherman says the team is now deciding between two sites for a possible new stadium, one in Clay County and one in East Village near downtown. He says he'll decide by the end of the summer. We'll be back after this. Honeybees may not be native to North America, but the insects are critical to pollinating field crops and fruit trees across the region, not to mention the delicious honey they make. But occasionally, Missouri's official state insects make their homes in inconvenient places. KCUR's Julie Denishay reports on a local beekeeper known for stepping in to help. Honeybees come and go on a recent June morning, buzzing around a crack in the siding of an old stone house built in 1920. They've built their hive beneath the floorboards of an upstairs bedroom in Dan Tarwater's South Kansas City home. Tarwater's a caretaker of the Veterans of Foreign Wars post next door. He says the bees aren't a problem, but it's time for them to go. Last fall, the bees moved in. They're going to take the hive out, extract the bees alive, and move them up to North Missouri. To do the job, Tarwater called Dan Kroll. He's a local beekeeper who volunteers at Mannheim Community Gardens in Midtown, and he keeps hives on the urban hillside there. Kroll gets a lot of calls from concerned homeowners when they spot swarms of honeybees clustered in trees on warm spring days. Now that swarming season is over, he's on the lookout for the swarms that got away like this one in Tarwater's home. If they're not in a place where they're causing problems like this one, I suggest that they just leave it, but um, not everybody can countenance having a bee colony in their house. Kroll plans to capture Tarwater's bees, then seal up the entrance to the hive. So he heads upstairs to check out the bedroom where the bees have taken up residence. Kroll's friend Alejandro Lozano is already here, pulling back the rug to reveal a thick hardwood floor. To pinpoint the bees, Kroll uses their heat as a clue. They have to keep the hive at a certain temperature to keep the brood warm. So, that you know, a 70-degree air-conditioned house is a little chilly. Watch the temperature go. 71, 72, 74, uh-oh, yeah, 80 okay. right there. We might be able to hear them, too. If I just bang on the floor a little bit. <laughs> yeah, let's get them riled up before we start cutting. Stop talking. I can hear something, but it doesn't sound like, like when they feel threatened, they shimmer. So they'll all kind of go, ooh, and I didn't hear that, but, but I feel like the, the temperature is a pretty good indication. After Kroll targets a two foot by four foot area, it's time to cut into the floor. But first, Kroll uses puffs of cool smoke from a handheld smoker to distract and quiet the bees. Once they're calm, the cutting can begin. The bees have filled the space beneath the floorboards with wild honeycomb. Even when he's disturbing a hive like this, Kroll says he rarely wears protective gear. You gotta keep in mind they're livestock, right? So we've been raising them for thousands of years, so we've been selecting for three characteristics. One, how much honey they make. 
two, how cold hardy they are, and three, how chill they are. <laughs> Bees begin to buzz around the room, and tar water opens a window. Crow gets to work with a knife to carefully remove the hive and harvest the honey. Every move I make in here, I could kill the queen, so I gotta be real slow. Yeah, okay. And also every fast movement I make is a sting waiting to happen. All right, ladies, coming in for another pass. Kroll estimates these bees have been here for at least a season or two. After several hours of careful work, he says it's been a successful day. We found exactly what we were hoping. We've exposed a very healthy hive full of tons and tons of honey. There's probably 30 pounds of honey there. This is about as good as it gets. This is, it's, it's beautiful. Lots of honey, lots of healthy bees. Now that Kroll's captured them, he'll be taking the bees to a farmer tobacco farm in Weston, Missouri where he keeps 50 hives on a restored native prairie. Kroll calls it bee heaven. For KZUR 89.3, I'm Julie Denache. U.S. cities and states will get $1.5 billion to plant and maintain trees over the next nine years. The money is part of climate resilience funding through the Inflation Reduction Act. Harvest Public Media's Juan Pablo Ramirez Franco reports the money will help communities provide more green space and adapt to extreme weather events. Driving along the Rock River, Mitch Leatherby, a street superintendent for the city of Rockford, Illinois, spots a pair of ash trees, most of which have disappeared from much of the Midwest due to the invasive emerald ash borer. Actually, there's two ash trees right there, still standing. And I remember we were treating those over the years. We, some of them we kind of let go, and some of them we kept. And those were just a couple of them that we kept. In the early 2000s, Rockford lost approximately 5,000 ash trees to the invasive beetle. The beetle was first identified in Michigan and has killed tens of millions of ash trees across the country. According to Leatherby, the pest has left a lasting impression on urban forest managers. What you want to do is focus on diversification of species in an urban forest so that when a pest or something comes along and it focuses on one species, it's not wiping out 20% of your inventory. Pests, disease, and severe storms are rapidly changing the makeup of urban forests all over the U.S. But adapting is expensive and can be a real barrier for local governments that don't typically budget with robust urban forests and canopies in mind. That's changing. According to David Sivier, a regional manager for the U.S. Forest Service, the federal government is betting big on trees through funding in the Inflation Reduction Act. $1.5 billion of funding over the next nine years will be dedicated to urban and community forest programs. It's an unprecedented increase, one that is very needful and uh, will help to meet many of the chronic challenges that our cities face with respect to extreme heat, flooding, vulnerabilities to, to storms, and so forth that we, that we see. Uh, increasing in the landscape today. That's exactly what Alan Jankowski, the commissioner of forestry for the city of St. Louis, is counting on. He says that earlier this month, there was a nearly 10 degree difference between the parts of the city with ample tree cover and those without it. His department recently submitted a $50 million proposal to the Forest Service for work like pruning and replacing trees. The city would have had to match the Forest Service's contribution dollar for dollar before the IRA legislation waived that requirement for projects in disadvantaged communities. I would say without that, it would have been very difficult. I don't know if we could say not 100 percent, but it would have been very difficult for us to, to get the $50 million for sure. 
the Forest Service is distributing hundreds of millions of dollars in grants to local governments, federally recognized tribes, and community-based organizations. And its funding for states has surged to $250 million this year. Christina Hoyt with the Nebraska Forest Service says it'll have a real impact, especially in rural towns. Typically, urban forestry is an underfunded area of communities. Communities have a lot of challenges and, you know, limited budgets to address them all. Hoyt says the funding will help the state deal with the emerald ash borer, which was identified in Nebraska in 2016, as well as beef up forestry departments around the state. Trees are having a moment. And Michael Brunk, the Urban and Community Forestry Administrator for the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, says it's about time. Quite frankly, most of the time, trees kind of got kicked down the rung and was looked at as a nicety, not a necessity. Not as a necessity like police and fire, and not a necessity like patching potholes and taking care of snow removal in the winter. But, you know, quite frankly, it should be. A single mature tree can trap some 4,000 gallons of rainwater a year. And the temperature beneath the tree can be up to 25 degrees cooler than its surrounding area. Now, forest managers are imagining what they could do with a more substantial urban forest. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Juan Pablo Ramirez Franco. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, including KCUR. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Paris Norval and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Julie's story on bees and Juan Pablo's story on urban forests, visit kcur.org, where you can find more news from around the region from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.